It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kriya Yoga Podcast. I'm here with another very special guest today, Craig Bullock, who is the spiritual director and founder of the Assisi Institute in Rochester, New York. He's also a Kriya Yogi, a Kriya Yoga teacher, and a student of Roy Jean Davis um, in the lineage of Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, welcome, Craig. It's good to have you. Oh, it's, I'm thrilled to be with you, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah. Um, today, um, I was, we, were, we were interacting, corresponding through email, and um, we discussed that this might be a good time to talk about how to maintain calm within the storm of life with how things are going in the world and um, just in general how, how spirituality can possibly um, help give us an anchor point uh, but on the other end of that spectrum how these difficult times or how the storm might help to strengthen our spirituality and now, you've been in this vocation for a long time, so yes. I'm sure that uh, you know what, what we're seeing today politically in the world, personally, um, you've probably seen a, a bit of that on s- smaller scales or, or more personal scales. So in your yes. own vocation, what have you come to or what have you learned that, that could help people to stay a little more centered within the self during this time? Well, my my first thought might be a little bit paradoxical. I think accepting the fact that um, there's a, the way I say it to people, there's a reason why we don't call earth heaven or earth paradise because it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, That chaos seems to be woven into the very fabric of life on planet earth. And in a paradoxical way, by accepting that, and not expecting perfect perfection, not expecting utopia, but just expecting that things are going to happen. Some will be pleasant and some will be painful and unpleasant. If we just have that realistic outlook, then when uh, chaos comes or unpleasantness or pain and suffering visits us, we're not caught off guard, we're not thrown. Um, Because I think there's almost an expectation in the spiritual world that if I meditate, if I, you know, practice the yamas and the niyamas, so on and so forth, that somehow I'm going to be protected, we're going to be protected from the events of life. And that's just not the case. Um, You know, bad things happen to good people, period. So first of all, just for me, what has helped personally and working with others is just having a realistic expectation. Mm -hmm. Secondly, which is always foundational, is having a a meditative practice on a daily basis where we, in a sense, close our eyes and leave the world temporarily uh, behind and really ground ourselves in the peace that passes all understanding and that transcendental consciousness 
not to escape from the world, but just to give us a base from which to operate so that when we come out of the meditation experience, it's what yoga, one of the things that Yogananda said, what you experience in meditation, take with you into activity so that we can maintain a, a zone of silence as we leave you know, the meditation and enter into, back into the world. We're operating from a zone of silence, from a zone of interior peace. And then we can draw on the wisdom that flows from that. We can draw on the strength that flows from that to navigate wisely through the world. So, you know, again, I, I tell people again and again that how crucial uh, a meditation practice is um, in anchoring ourselves and solidifying ourselves against life's storms. And I think the, the other piece is, again, I think this flows from the meditation too, is instead of asking why, why is this happening to me, which really just engages the ego and is a recipe for suffering. Instead of asking why, uh, and on a daily basis, ask this question of the universe, what can I do? What is the most loving and the most and the wisest response to this situation, whether it's something global or whether it's something in my personal life. So instead of asking why, ask what? And my own experience is like if I'm in a situation and I don't quite know what the right response is, or I have my own sense of pain and, and doubt, I would just go back into that silence and just ask what is the most loving or what is the most intelligent thing I can do in this moment. And it's just incredible. Things just, intuitions just bubble up. And then the, the last piece is to really be kind to each other now. You know, we need each other now for many, many reasons more than ever. And we don't need to heap our ideologies on other people. What we really need is to share our compassion with people, to be loving and kind and supportive in all ways, because we're all in this together and, I think part of how God works is through each other. You know, we are all, in a, metaphorically speaking, we're all God's angels. So attempting to, you know, to be loving and supportive to the people in our life and not, not, uh, not isolating ourselves is the other thing that I think is, is really, really helpful. You, you brought up so many good points there and um, two of them that, that kind of stuck out to me uh, at first was um, uh, the last part where you're talking about compassion for other people, when we were discussing having this, this podcast and, and talking to each other, one of the things that kept popping in my mind was, uh, yes, there's a lot of uh, chaos and, and suffering and discontentment going on now. But what kept popping into my mind was, well, it's always been there. Yeah. It's yeah. just that now people who might have been able to escape it for a little while are it's becoming aware point. of it. Yes. So the idea of compassion, um, you know, I just, I appreciate you bringing that up because, I mean, it just, it sums everything up rather than focusing on how messed up everything is at the moment. <laughs> because somewhere in the world, whether your life is perfect or not, or whether your country is not in a state of unrest, there is someone out there who is going through disease, loss, death, war, political strife. So I, I appreciate that idea of, of compassion. And I, I, 
I'm trying to, to hold that second point so I, I don't forget it. But um, for you, how, how do you bring that into your daily life? How do you encourage others to, to, to really take that seriously and, 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 re- and remember that? Because it's easy to forget. Yeah, well, there's, there's probably, and I'll be simple with my answer and succinct, there's probably three levels. Again, it, it starts with meditation. And, and um, what I always try to do at the end of my meditation is to come back into my heart mm-hmm. and to really just stay in my heart and, and as a way of opening my heart. So that's number one. It's, it's um, as I say to people, I kind of have a foot in my third eye and a foot in my heart. <laughs> and so it's it's really the conscious intention to open my heart. Secondly, it's it's about being intentional uh, and not sleepwalking through life. Right. So one of the things I even write this down many days in my do a to do list every day. Um, and one of the things I write down in my to do list is to be a compassionate, loving person to uh, my wife, my family, but everybody I meet. So uh, I'll give, give you a little example, and, I, and not that I, I forget to do this at times, and I'm not perfectly compassionate all the times, but I do the grocery shopping <laughs> in our family. And one of the things I do is when I go through the checkout, uh, there's always a young person that, you know running the cash register, and I just try to make eye contact. I ask them how they're doing. Um, sometimes I'll even engage them. Are you a student? And, you know, what do you do in school? And just to be kind to, to people in that situation. And often if I think they've done a good job, you know, I will go to the manager and I say the young lady or the young man and I owe four did a wonderful job. Give them some kudos. I just use that as an example of just wherever I am, I do my best. And again, I forget sometimes, but I do my best to remember to just be a loving and compassionate person. So it's, it's living intentionally and it's looking for all the little opportunities to thank my wife for cooking a good dinner, for example. So it's just staying intentional. And after a while, your heart remains open more or less, and it really just becomes part of who we are. It becomes part of, you know, uh, and I say this in, in using incorrect grammar to make the point. It becomes part of who we is. It becomes <laughs> part of our, it becomes part of our isness. Right. But it starts with, I think, meditation, opening our hearts and the intention to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. And it does take, I mean, <clears throat> what you're describing there is something that I think uh, people often miss. Sometimes it seems like, once there's this idea that I am now meditating or I'm on the spiritual path, that compassion should just come. Yeah. When really, often it takes work to get in the yeah. habit of it. It's not, it, yeah. you got, like you're saying, you have to remind yourself, you have to stick with it. You yeah. have to do it until it becomes natural. It's not just something that pops out of you, <laughs> usually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, you know, my wife is such an exceptional person. She, she is naturally the most compassionate person I know yeah. personally, but that's not the case with most of us. It's something that we have to cultivate. And, you know, one of the things I will sometimes say at the Assisi Institute is um, think of somebody that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a political person. It could be a family member and a way of practicing compassion is, pray every day for them 
for the highest good to unfold in their lives. Right. And I think that counters some of that, you know, sort of reactive anger, reactive um, anger uh, and antipathy that we can all find in ourselves. So I think, again, I encourage people to pray, paraphrase the words of Jesus, to pray for your enemies, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, as a way of cultivating compassion. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything they say uh, or do, but to pray for those people that, particularly you find irksome and difficult mm-hmm. is a wonderful way of cultivating compassion. And, and another side of that too, I guess uh, just requires a, a little bit of understanding because if we, if we remember the times that we're upset or cranky or not a nice person, uh, as far as could be judged, I suppose, usually it's because we're working out some kind of, reaction or trauma or you know some kind of conditioning that we might not even be aware of yes and, yes and you can you can look at other people and whether this is true or not i don't know but usually when i see other people and i see them behaving extremely selfishly or cruelly or maliciously in my mind maybe it's because of meditation but i'm wondering well what happened to them that causes them to think they need to act that way or believe that way. Yes. And that, well, you know, part of, part of what has helped me, I I, I make my living um, as a psychotherapist Mm -hmm. and, and it's to the, it's to your point precisely that, you know, sometimes people come into my office and at first glance, I don't necessarily like, like them. Mm -hmm. I don't find them likable, but then I, I hear their stories and I hear their pain, I hear their own trauma, and it really has the effect of opening my heart that, Mm -hmm. oh, this is why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. This is why, you know, they're shooting themselves in the foot the way they do, because they have this tremendous pain that they have not yet dealt with. And so I've learned to extend that to other people that, you know, aren't my clients like, okay, there's something going on in them, like you said, that is causing them to react in this way. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that I've had many people who have been compassionate and patient and understanding with my foolishness too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if people have given that to me, then it's like I have an obligation to give that understanding uh, and therefore the compassion back to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Catholic priest that I knew many, many years ago, but I like the way he said it. He said, God is eternally merciful and compassionate because God understands our stories, our history, his story, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the cosmic consciousness that we refer to as the divine sees all the reasons why we do what we do. And I think, and then I think the universe responds to us in a merciful and compassionate way and then we learn to extend that to others. One thing you were talking about in the beginning uh, that also stuck out to me, uh, you mentioned, which is common in, I would say, yogic circles, but as well as uh, I have uh, a few friends which are um, Methodist ministers, and one of them is retired, so I, I hear a lot of stories about their, their ministry and interacting with people. Um, but there's an idea that you, you mentioned that if we just practice yoga right, if we just practice the yamas and niyamas, that everything's going to just go smoothly. Right. And, you know, of course, if you continue reading in the Yoga Sutras, you'll see where it says uh, the, the yogi is not 
troubled by pleasure or pain. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they do, they do follow, they do follow it up. But my, my question to you is, um, is there a way to try to get that, to, to help people have that realization, have that realization, or is it just age experience and wisdom? Because I used to be one of those people that thought, well, if I just do the yamas and niyamas right, if I just exercise right, if I just do all these things right, everything is going to be no worries. And it feels to me that it was just simply people losing people, getting knocked around, uh, having other difficult things happen, that it was going through the experience of seeing that, which actually made me realize uh, that uh, life keeps happening and when we learn to stay centered in the self that it's not that by doing certain things that everything goes smoothly all the time so for, the question really is do you know of any way to help people see that experience that or is it just eventually with enough years and wisdom and maturity you got to come to that conclusion <laughs> well it's a great it's a great question and and i think a big part of it is um maturity and being bounced around enough <laughs> that you come to that conclusion. Um, I remember one of my last conversations with Roy Eugene Davis was that his goal was to live until he was 90. Mm. Um, and there was a part of me that thought, well, if that's Roy's goal, it's going to absolutely happen. Yeah. Um, and he didn't quite make it. I think he was 88 or 87 right. when he left his body. Yeah. yeah so, you know, um, no matter how evolved we are, life is always a little bit big, at least a little bit bigger than ourselves. And I think sometimes just being bounced around and, and feeling life's pain mm -hmm. will wake that up in us, awaken mm -hmm. us to that reality. But, but I also think, and I try to do this consistently in my teachings, because I think this can also help is to, to you know, to remind people that no matter how enlightened you are, life is going to happen and it won't always be pleasant. Again, what I said at the beginning, to have that realistic expectation. I think the other thing that helps people, because, you know, we want to believe that we have ultimate control. We want right. to believe that if we do everything right, then we can control all the vicissitudes of life. And, and we can't, obviously. But there's underneath that impulse to control is fear. Right. Fear of being out of control, fear of pain, fear of chaos. What sometimes helps people, I think, and how I present it is that in some way, shape, or form, if we keep our hearts open in the midst of the pain, mm -hmm. if we keep our conscious contact with the divine going in the midst of the pain and the suffering, then A, we can stand firm and strong. Um, we can stay faithful during it. We can have that peace that surpasses all understanding. But from a larger perspective that um, there's a line in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. He says we, we live and we move and we have our being in God's being. So that eventually everything potentially can be recycled, can serve our evolution if we approach it in the right way. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I want to repeat that because I think that's really important. If we approach the events that come to us with faith, uh, grounded in the silence and the stillness, then in some way, shape, or form, and I think it's beyond the rational mind to really grasp it entirely, um, all things eventually can work towards the good. Let me share just an uh, event from my own life. You know, I've had a, a couple of wonderful mentors, spiritual mentors. One is Roy Eugene Davis. Another one is a Franciscan priest, uh, Richard Rohr. And I was probably in my early 30s, and I remember this. He was visiting Rochester. He doesn't live in Rochester, and we were driving in the car. It's like a very poignant memory. And I had a difficult childhood. Uh, My mother died when I was 12. My father was an alcoholic. I was actually homeless for a while. And Richard turned to me, and he said, it's a good thing you had the childhood that you had. And I kind of got angry. I said, how could you say that? Right. And he, and he was always very compassionate and still is. But he said to me, he said, you're very gifted and very intelligent. He said, if you weren't wounded, you'd just be a yuppie making lots of, lots of money and contributing nothing to the world. But because you're wounded, you've become a wounded healer and you're making a difference in the world. And I remember just this little light bulb went off that, okay, maybe my childhood was part of my dharma. And maybe in some way that, again, the human mind can't entirely grasp it. If we keep our hearts open, everything can eventually be recycled in a positive way in our lives. Yeah, that's, um, I understand that. And, um, you know, personally, it wasn't until uh, uh, Melissa got sick and passed that I don't really feel that I understood spirituality that well. And, and the more I think about it, you know, I don't want to say things like I'm, I I do not wish that that she had passed at all. But now that I see the realizations that have come through, uh, number one, living through that, embracing it, trying to, uh, you know, kind of get the bigger picture of it all. I look now to the Yoga Sutras and to the Bhagavad Gita and to the Sista Yoga and Roy's teaching and Yogananda's and Ramana Maharshi's, and it actually makes more sense now. Yes. Because it, it brings into clarity, at least in my experience, it brings into clarity why we are here. Yeah. And it's not to live forever, and it's not yes. to have all of our needs and our wants met. It's yes. to realize what it's to realize something you don't know what you're realizing yet right and, yes. but but it's it's there and i guess that's the hardest part that i've that i've had since that experience is how again how on earth can you you share that with someone i, I had one woman who wrote to me recently whose mother had, had, had just suddenly passed she had a i think a stroke and just suddenly passed and she was a Kriya yoga practitioner and she was saying how that challenged her faith because her mother was everything to her. And I was like, I get that. I had someone that was like that in my life too. But what that did is it drove me to look deeper into the Bhagavad Gita, where in the later chapters, it says that when you can see the Supreme consciousness equally in everybody, when you can see that it's not a form that dies, that, that there, that the, the form goes away, but the essence is still there and the essence is the Supreme and the essence is what we're, to focus on. I didn't want to go through all of that, but by going through it, it made that crystal clear to me. 
And yeah. I, I tried to find a way to, to deliver that information, but I don't think anyone could have told me that either. Yeah. You know, so the, the sticky point of all of this is I understand what you're saying for the most part, I think, but mainly because something happened in my life, which forced me to, to kind of take that all in. Um, And, and even during that time when she was going, Roy kept telling me uh, just whatever you do, stay centered in the self, stay centered in the self. And he kept saying that over and over again. And I did my best to, to do that, but I, I couldn't appreciate it until the experience happened. So yeah. I guess the whole gist of this is how would you uh, speak to someone to keep them, to keep them strong for the lack of a better word, to keep them strong, not fighting what's happening in their life, but trying to find a way to embrace it. Does this no, make sense I, I, what I'm getting, trying to say? Yeah, no, it does. Let, let me, there's sort of, I have two quick, well, two responses. First one, I'll just say quickly. And, you know, I wish this were otherwise, but at one level, suffering is a crucible for, for transformation. Um, right. Again, I wish it, I wish it were otherwise, um, but it is a crucible for transformation. It can be. Right. Um, depending on how we respond to it. And I, I think... Well, you, you mentioned, he's one of my favorite people from the East. You mentioned uh, Ramana Maharishi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just love <laughs> Ramana Maharishi. Um, and, you know, he talks about two paths to self-realization, one through, you know, self-inquiry. But the other path he talks about is surrender. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to paraphrase him now. It's, not, it's almost a word-for-word quote. He said, you can't tell the divine how things ought to be and call that surrender. That you just have to let go. It is not letting go into nothing. It's not letting go into a sort of nihilistic, meaningless vacuum. Mm -hmm. But you have to let go into the self and you have to let go into consciousness itself and not try to dictate to to God, to consciousness, how it should be responding and how it should be treating your life. So that, that surrendering in, into, into peace, into the self with a capital S, into grace, um, is really ultimately what I encourage people to do and try to practice in my own life, to let go. Um, and to kind of say to God and the universe, as you wish, as you wish. Again, it's not, not, go ahead. It's not, this is, I think this is the, the point that, that I had trouble with. And I think others have trouble with too. When, when, many times when people think about surrender, they think of, they don't do anything anymore. Yes. Like, they just yes. stop. And yes. that's not, that's not, that's not entirely accurate. You, you keep doing your yes. best. It's yes. like in the Bhagavad Gita, you do your best and yes. you give up the fruits of your actions because you can't control yes. that. Yes. Well, one of the pieces, I I love the Bhagavad Gita, too. It's one of my favorite scriptures, you know, and I'm paraphrasing now. But after um, Arjuna kind of gets the big picture, he he says to Krishna, okay, well, then I I don't have to follow through with with my dharma, what you're asking me to do, right? Because now I I got it. 
And Krishna says, no, you still have to practice right. what you're called to practice. So yeah, surrender isn't, it isn't passivity. It's, it's, it's letting go into a deeper field of consciousness, but that we, we do that by continuing to meditate. We do that by continuing to nurture compassion, to, to, to continue nurturing self-realization. So it's, yeah, it's not just, it's not a, a passive kind of putting up the white flag and then doing nothing. We still do everything that we're called to do, but we're just doing it at a deeper level um, with a more, I think, profound level of realization. And it's, and it, for me, this is how it works is, you know, sometimes people will say to me, well, you meditate every day, you meditate so much. You, you must be a holy and saintly person. <clears throat> I say, no, no, not at all. I meditate a lot because I suffer a lot. Yeah, right. And so in a paradoxical way, the meditation, the suffering takes me deeper into the meditation and deeper into the self. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's not about passivity at all. Mm -hmm. And the other thought that, that came to mind uh, as I was kind of preparing for this uh, talk with you, well, Obviously, you're you're very uh, Catholic, right? Well, I, what I tell people is I have a I have a foot in the kind of Catholic Christian world, and I have a foot in a big foot in the yogic world. I'm probably technically uh, a heretic, but that puts me in good standing. So keep going. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, I, I was I was raised Catholic, so I, <laughs> according to my grandmother, since I was baptized, I'm still all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So anyway, um, but I started thinking about it and I started thinking about just the story of, of Jesus, just the story of Jesus yeah. and uh, his life and being this representation of, of the, the, the son of God. And, and how did his life end? <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I know that sounds like I'm making a joke. No, but... no, no, no. You're, you're actually, you're, you're, you're making a profound point. <laughs> and and that's not again it is funny in a sort of a way but <laughs> the, the, the reason i bring that up is because like you mentioned early on this idea of if you do everything right then everything's going to go well well he obviously <laughs> he was the son of god and he got crucified <laughs> right yes and yeah. and i again this is one of those walls or one of those those one of those difficulties that people come up against. And again, I came up against it too, because it's a challenge to faith. And the reason I think that's so is because that's a clear example of the realization as I believe it's talked about quite a bit uh, in, in, in yoga philosophy and, and Roy mentioned it often in Yogananda that the biggest mistake we make is, is confusing that we are a mind and a body yeah. versus a spirit. And why was it that Jesus was able to live the life that he did and finally be crucified? Because, or even Ramana Maharshi, another example, when he got cancer as well. Yeah. And, um, and, and he died from cancer. And he would, when he was dying, the idea was, well, where am I going to go? You know, yeah. It's just this body which is going to pass. And yeah. that is where I think that abyss starts with the, with the people when you're attached to the mind, you know, you mentioned earlier being identified with the mind or that it's beyond thought or beyond that kind of understanding and the wisdom that passeth understanding, it has to go beyond the mind. 
So the spiritual practices, the, the things that we do, the, the yamas and the niyamas, harmlessness, truthfulness, contentment, you know, these are all qualities which if we engage them and we let them take us beyond the mind, they will eventually give us a realization that say maybe Ramana Maharshi or uh, in the story of Jesus, the idea of losing the body, the idea of change, the idea of that kind of suffering, it's not as crushing as, as, our, as we think it is when we think that's all we are. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think there's this, when people first get on the spiritual path, I think, and myself included, I think there's this subtle kind of hope, dream, wish that, yeah, we want to be enlightened, but we want our bodies <laughs> and our minds to be enlightened. And, and what that typically translates into is, yeah, I want to be enlightened and, um, you know, I want to have perfect health, a perfect six pack. <laughs> um, and uh, it's funny, I remember at a retreat once we talking about this kind of theme of letting go and surrendering. And he was quite sincere. He made us all laugh, but it was sincere. He raised his hand. He said, well, if, if I can be enlightened, can I still have a trophy wife? <laughs> and we all laughed, but I mean, he, it, you know, now he was sort of being obvious with it, but there, there, there's a kind of sneaky hope, wish fulfillment that we have is that, you know, if we are enlightened, then again, we'll have perfect health, perfect bodies, perfect finances, perfect relationships. We really, we really want to, in a sense, deify the mind and the body and what you're saying is so important because who we really are at the core transcends the mind and the body. And I love what you were referring to with Ramana because they said, Ramana Marhishi, because they said, what will we do when you're gone? And he said, where am I going? Right. I'm just dropping the body so that, you know, we're not the mind. We're not the personality um, that gets wrapped around the mind. And we're not the body, but who we are really is timeless it's right. eternal it's outside of time it doesn't go anywhere um it is eternal and once we get even if it's just an intuitional glimpse of that um it's it begins to be freeing mm -hmm. and again I, I love the word paradox you know like i said i'll be 65 in in december and uh, so I know that the end is much closer than, than the beginning. And, and in a paradoxical kind of way, it makes me appreciate the moments more with my wife, with my children, my grandchildren, the people in my life. You know, we're entering the fall in upstate New York, and it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful time of year. So in this paradoxical way, once we realize that everything is temporary, we're, we're less attached to it but we're also liberated to enjoy it more right. and not take it for granted because it's not going to be here forever. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think to realize that it's the spirit in us, if I can just use that word, that is eternal. It's not the mind and the body. The more we can live from that spirit, then we have that equanimity in the midst of the storm. Right. Everything, is, everything is okay, even the passing of our bodies. Right. And your the, the the joke or comment about can I have the trophy wife? You know, I would have followed up with yeah, as long as you're not attached to her, <laughs> yes, yes, right? Because yes. <laughs> as soon as you start bringing the attachment in, that's when it, it goes downhill. But uh, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the that's the, the the crux of it all is well, there, there's a chant that I love, and uh, people who who are listening to this on the the Kree Yoga Online um, channel, they've heard me mention this a few times already. There's a chant I love, and um, they always played it at um, uh, Center for Spiritual Awareness right before the when, when you learned Kriya Kriya the Kriya mm-hmm. Pranayama techniques. And it was the spirit and it's spirit and nature, um, uh, spirit and nature, victory to spirit, victory to nature, Radha, 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 Govinda Jai. And, you know, one of the, one of the principles in, in yogic philosophy is unceasing discrimination between what is eternal and what is transient. And so it's, it's the same thing. We have the nature part, which is our bodies, our lives, our loved ones, our careers, our money, our health. That's the nature, which is always going to rise and fall. Yeah. Um, so it's, it doesn't say get rid of the transient. Yeah. It's unceasing yeah. discrimination between what is real and, and, and real as in eternal and, and what is transient, what, what comes and what goes. And, you know, when you have that kind of r- r- real understanding then you can actually interact with it i think more appropriately and more authentically yes yeah because you're 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 free from the attachment which and again i love the word paradox which paradoxically liberates us to be fully present to what is happening in the relative field right and to appreciate it and to enjoy it you know, uh, my our grandchildren live in Nashville, Tennessee, so we don't get to see them often. And every, but every time we do go to see them, every moment becomes not in a grasping way. Every moment becomes more precious because I know it's passing, right. and and you can't hang on to it. So that's the paradox that once we accept the fact that everything in the relative field is passing, um, you learn to also appreciate it more and to right. celebrate it without getting attached to it. Mm-hmm. That mm. reminds me, um, again, preparing for this discussion, um, there's a wonderful book called uh, The Long Pilgrimage about Shiva Puri Baba. Oh, I'm not uh, Roy, familiar with it. What's that? Not familiar with it. Well, Roy, Roy talked about him a few times at, at one of the, uh, at some of the lectures at CSA. And um I never knew that this this book existed until actually after Roy passed. Um, but he was an individual who he lived to be 135. Wow. He, uh, he went out into the woods for 20 years and didn't talk to anybody. Uh, and then once he came out of it, I think at the age of 50 or so, he walked around the world, like actually walked around the world. <laughs> and this was in the, <laughs> this was in the yeah, late 1800s, early 1900s. But anyway, I was reading this book. And this one particular section stood out to me. It just kind of hit me like a, a, a bunch of bricks. And um, if you don't mind, I'd like to, to no, read it. No, no, please, please, please do. Okay. So he says, in normal times, we generally live our lives quite happily, giving as much attention as is necessary to our daily run of duties. We have our fixed principles and fixed ideas, and with them we keep up our balance of mind. We are not disturbed by anything whatsoever, And so we go on smoothly with our normal course. And with the result, that peace and happiness is ever flowing in our mind. As long as we are following our ordinary course of living, 
We never expect any change in our circumstance that might disturb our mental uh, mm. equipoise. And then he says, but no. <laughs> it is simply our blindness to world nature. Anything may happen to us at any time quite unexpectedly. Abnormal circumstances come to us at times and we are thrown out from our seats. We become helpless and have to succumb to such overwhelming force from the external. The result is that our peace of mind is disturbed and so we lose our previous position. All our structures in the form of routines and principles tumble down and we are thrown into a state which is quite new and foreign to us. What happens? We generally get stupefied and cannot easily recover our mental balance. We become like fish out of water and we get lost in the whirlpool of samsara. What do we do? We try to regain our previous position, thinking that is the only course left open to us in order to preserve that peace of mind we were enjoying previously. Here we are mistaken. We overlook the fact that our effort to regain our previous status is quite futile because in this ever-changing world, what has happened will never return. Instead, if we are wise, we should try to adjust ourselves to the new status in which we find ourselves. New schemes and projects we must introduce which are adaptable to the present conditions and build anew. To look back and bemoan the loss of our previous status is death to us. And he goes on a little bit, but this, this hit me hard because I started reading this probably about a year and a half after uh, Melissa passed, and it was actually right after Roy passed. So in my life, what happened was Melissa got sick, Melissa died. I moved, nine months later, my house slid off a bank into the river, and so I was homeless. I didn't know that. Yeah. After that, uh, Roy passed, and then another friend passed. So all these things hit me all at once, wow. and I was adrift because everything that I knew about my life up until that point was gone. You know, the, there was nothing really left much of, of what I knew about myself other than my flannel shirts and my long hair. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway... I, I read that and it, it kind of came crashing down that just like you were saying, this is what we often do. We try to build a, a, a sense of security. Um, when, as I reviewed the Bible uh, again more, isn't there a, a phrase that says something like the foxes have their dens and the birds have their nests, but the son of man. There's has... nowhere to lay, lay his head. Yes. Right. Yes. So the reason I brought all this up is because for you as a, a, a person of faith, and uh, me, who's just kind of regaining faith again. Um, how on earth does one, how do you help people to develop faith when they feel, as many people are, I think, these days, feel like they're just getting crushed from every angle? How, how do you help people through that? It's a, it's a, that's a, it's a fantastic question. I'll, I'll do my best to answer. Um, it's a challenging but good question. You know, I, I guess I have sort of at, at three levels of, of answers. One is there is something about the stories that we surround ourselves with. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, let me go back to just what you were saying about Jesus, you know, and his, his death. And again, in upstate New York, there's a lot of, we have a lot of, even at the Assisi Institute, we have a lot of 
people who are more devotionally oriented and this really just seems to work for them. But <laughs> what I kind of, one of the stories that I tell in different ways again and again is to take, take Jesus's death. And here you have this kind of contradiction of the son of God, an avatar. Um, and yet he, he, he meets this, you know, this terrible, terrible torturous death. And what does that story tell us at some level is that it, it gives us a picture of God, a God who suffers with us, mm. a God who is with us in our darkest moments, a God who weeps with us, a God who dies with us, metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. So one story is, is that, and I'll say it in a devotional way and in a, a less of a devotional way is that we are never alone in our darkest moments. Um, and if, and if divinity is within us and around us, then there is something in those darkest moments to sustain us. Um, if we plug into it. So one level of the answer to your great question is what are the stories that we surround ourselves with? You know, even in everything that's going on in the country, I had a conversation with a good friend the other day, and we were talking about the chaos. And I said, you know, if we have just order, nothing new happens, nothing evolutionary happens, that there has to be a degree of chaos for something new and different and evolutionary to happen. So again, I'm just saying at one level, can we have some faith this is part of what I mean by the story. Can we have some faith that we're not alone and that this divine impulse that became everything, is in everything, is working to evolve us in all situations and circumstances? I think the second thing that is just on a very practical level is, and this touches on something we talked about earlier, is being around people who, who can hold us energetically or just be with us in our suffering. Uh, they don't always have to have great words of wisdom, but just being our spirit touching other people's spirit, so to speak, can sustain us. Just being with other people, the right kind of people, can hold us for a period of time until we kind of regain our inner balance. And I think the other piece is... And not everybody is naturally kind of oriented, but sometimes just having a bit of grit, right. you know, like life has knocked me down, but damn it, I, I'm going to fight. I'm, I'm not going to give up. I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get back up. I, I did some amateur boxing when I was younger. Um, and so that's kind of a metaphor that works. I know it's a violent metaphor, but it works for me that sometimes you get knocked down. And you just have to have the grit to say, I'm not quitting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back up. I'm hurting. I'm bleeding. But I'm going to get back up and I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to continue to pray and meditate even when it makes no sense. Right. Um, I'm going to do my best to be the best father, husband, friend, teacher that I can be. So sometimes just having a bit of grit um, goes a long way. There's a, there's a wonderful story, again, I, I love people from the East, of Vivekananda. Mm -hmm. And one of his disciples tells this story that he walked by 
uh, Vivekananda's room where he was sleeping and he heard Vivekananda moaning and groaning and crying. And then he said he kind of opened the door a little bit just to listen. And um, it's weird. <laughs> Vivekananda was pleading with God to, <laughs> to um, save India from all of the suffering that it was undergoing under, you know, British colonial rule. And there's a lot we could say about that, but there's a part of me that just says that was the gritty part of Vivekananda, you know, mm -hmm. that in the face of the suffering that his people were experiencing, he was kind of fighting with heaven mm -hmm. um, to make a difference. So sometimes just having some of that, that grittiness in us, that mm -hmm. I'm just not going to give up no matter what. Right. Um, and that's... I'm glad you brought that point up because that was also something I was thinking about early, early on before this conversation. And that was um, thinking about the current situation uh, and how many more uh, affluent people or, or people who were usually in better situations were having, now they're having more difficulty and now they're complaining a lot about it. Whereas people who weren't always, people who are used to having difficulty, um, they've been dealing with that their entire life. Right. And um, when I thought about spirituality, um, I, I can remember reading a few texts where it would say, you know, the, the greatest blessing is adversity. Because if you have adversity, then you're going to be driven to see, in a, in a sense, uh, what is real or, or what is important in life. And um, uh, kind of discussing the, the issues uh, that I mentioned that I went through in that short period of time, at one, one point I thought, well, the only reason I'm still here is just because I know how I'm stubborn. <laughs> yes, 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 I, yes. I know, I know how to get up and I know how to keep doing my work and I know how to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm stubborn. But yes. then it occurred to me that spirituality helps. It can help in a way if we don't avoid the discipline aspect of it. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I had uh, numerous decades of meditation under my belt before all this stuff happened. And I wondered to myself, what would have happened if I didn't have that anchor of a, a type of way of being or moral disciplines as, as Shiva Puri Bobby, Shiva Puri Bobby said, Baba, Baba says, uh, and in, in meditation helps as well, because if, if you, if you have a, a good anchor in meditation and you keep catching, like you mentioned earlier, these glimpses of your, your eternal nature, your timeless nature, it doesn't mean you're not going to grieve. It doesn't mean you're not going to be angry. It doesn't mean you're not going to be upset when these things happen. But you know, back there somewhere, that that's really not defining the essence of you. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and so this could be the reason why meditation can be so helpful to people, not to prevent or not to give this idea that now everything's going to be pristine and beautiful, but so that as they go through life, they have the proper perspective to continue living their purpose, whatever this divine infinite wants to work through them, whatever yeah. experiences they're meant, they're meant to have, yeah. then they're able to still have that sense of something keeping them anchored. Does this make sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. It's, you know, when yeah, you're a very wise person, I just want to give you that compliment. I'm enjoying talking to you. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I don't want to lose my train of thought with that. Okay. That, let's get serious. You know, when, um, when life is going easy and mm -hmm. 
and ex external circumstances are pleasurable. It's relatively easy, to your point, to keep a level of equanimity. But when when there is chaos, and, and right now you're right, it's, you know, COVID is no respecter of persons, for example, mm -hmm. you know, and, and my, my assumption is that the financial fallout from all of this is going to get worse before it gets better. It's just my assumption. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be wrong, but it's just my operating assumption. So that everybody or most people are going to be, everybody's going to be impacted by everything that's happening in the world now, the chaos. If, if we're not grounded in a discipline and a meditation practice, it's just going to be far too easy to be swept away in fear and anger, um, almost like a mob mentality that it's, 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 it's not, for me, what I tell people, it's not optional now to not meditate. Mm -hmm. where they have a spiritual practice and discipline because the storms are just too great and we will be blown away. And then unfortunately, the worst part of our nature, our human nature kind of comes to the surface and then we become part of the problem and not the solution. Right. So I think, yeah, spiritual discipline right now and staying anchored is it's really not an option. Mm -hmm. And Again, using when you're talking about uh, boxing, um, personally, I think people should do more things that <laughs> <laughs> I think people should do more things like that because it, it gives the experience of, yes. like you said, get knocked down and realize you can get back up. Like if you, if you experience that enough in things like sports or any other activity, taking chances, yes. then yes. you tend to develop a greater sense of enthusiasm and even faith when it is going poorly. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb here. I hope this isn't appropriate to our podcast, but um, I was in college when Rocky won the movie came out. I don't know if you have ever watched Rock, yeah. the Rocky movies. Seen them all. And and um, this is a little bit of a confession. I went to the theater 14 times to see to see the movie. Right. Uh, I would stay for double features sometimes. But the, the, the scene in the movie that spoke to me the most, that I, sometimes I even come to tears when I think about it. It's like the 14th or 15th round, and Rocky is bludgeoned. He's down, and Paul Creed raises his arms and you know, thinks it's over. Rocky's corner is saying, stay down. And then all of a sudden, Creed turns around, and there's Rocky saying, I'm not done. Yeah. We're, we're not done yet. And in a funny kind of way, there have been times in my life that I have drawn on that metaphor like, okay, it's time to get up off the floor. I don't feel like meditating, but I'm going to meditate. I may be angry at God in the universe right now, but I'm going to keep the conversation going. I'm, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to fight the fight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that has sustained me at times. Well, since we're making confessions, I'll make one too. <laughs> there's, a, there's a series of books called uh, The Last Kingdom, which is all about Viking times. And um, it's about, it's a 10 series book. It's, I think it's wonderful. But anyway, um, I, I read it uh, probably about mm, five or six years ago. And in the book, the character, he gets enslaved, he gets shipped across the sea, he gets beat down, like all these things keep happening to him. And I, and I remember, I remember at one point in a very difficult time thinking, even though this was a fictional character like Rocky, I said, you know what? If Uhtred can keep getting back up, yes, yes. I'm going to keep getting back yes. up. 
but but that's that's i mean I, I also think it goes much deeper than that for example you know roy he passed away just not very long ago but he was working until i from what i was told 20 minutes before he passed so a man i didn't he, i didn't know that specifically yeah he from what i from what i was told that you know he was trying to get his his laptop and his cell phone so he could keep writing <laughs> truth journals up until 20 minutes before before he left and yeah and, yes. and and it's this i, I think it, it kind of comes back to this whole idea of individuals wanting to hit a point where they can just stop yeah. like like in spirituality where they they think that uh the spirituality that they're going to hit a point in life where they're not going to have to get up and keep going but yes. as long as we are alive as long as we are breathing we have this work to do yes, and, and yes. we may not want to do it, but, yes. but that's part of, I, I think to, to the point of, of what we're discussing here is that, you know, meditation and yoga isn't going to make everything better. It's going to give greater resiliency. Um, but it's also going to teach us if we, if we embrace it to try with whatever's going on in our lives to see that as just part of this, plan somehow that we might not understand. I mean, the stuff that you went through as a child, uh, the, the, the stuff that, it, that many people have gone through, the difficulties, if they've, if they've taken it, like you mentioned early on, and, 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 and grew, grew through it and developed wisdom from it, in a sense, it, it's become a, a greater part of the whole. It's given more compassion. It's given more drive. It's, 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 it's like you said, opened up people's hearts in a way so yes, yes. It, it all comes down to at least this is things i've been thinking about the last few years how the kinds of suffering that we go through i think it feels like from my perspective that we need to change our our appreciation for or understanding of of, of suffering and not push it away yeah find a way to embrace it somehow I, that's what well, i'm thinking the Again, I think you hit such a point. There is this kind of expectation that once we are self-realized, God-realized, enlightened, then we just cruise through life mm -hmm. on cruise control. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. And, and secondly, there is something about discomfort and pain when we, and not to glorify it, I mean, I'm right. walking a thin line here, but there is something about it that when we, work with it it keeps us awake it keeps us alert um so that we can move forward through it and you're right practicing yoga doesn't make life better but it makes us better able to cope with life's challenges once we continually root ourselves in that aspect of our being that is eternal and unchanging right Right. And another line that we're, we're dancing around there is the idea of, of yoga not making life better. I was actually uh, having a conversation about this last night. And, you know, there's this, this, this kind of ratio that people throw out there. They say that once you get on the spiritual path from a, a, a Hindu or yogic tradition, they say that something like um, uh, once you step on the spiritual path, um, God takes away 50% of your karma. The guru takes away 25% of your karma. And then you've got 25% to work out. And they, they say this as though it's some mystical thing. And what occurred to me one day was, well, if you step on the spiritual path and you begin being truthful, harmless, taking care of your body, being compassionate, 
you've already cut out 75% of the problems you're probably going to have anyway. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then, and then of yeah. course, the, the other 25% is just stuff that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. no, I, again, I think, I think that, <laughs> yes, yes, that, yeah, if, if you embrace the spiritual life, then you're not going to be doing those things right. that, right. that um, you're going to be reducing by approximately 75% those things that cause you to suffer. Right. And then there's the other 25% that is just life. Yeah. Then there's the viruses, then there's the hurricanes, then there's the yeah. bursting pipes behind your house. <laughs> then that happens. <laughs> yeah. We had that happen three times this past spring. <laughs> bursting pipes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In our basement. We had to get a whole new floor. And, you know, part of me just said, okay, this is, this is not a curse. <laughs> this is just life. And right. that's one, as my wife and I were bailing water, I, she, I don't know if she quite appreciated this. I turned to her. It was, like, it was you know, in the middle of the night. We're bailing water. I said, this is a real bonding moment <laughs> between <laughs> us. <laughs> I don't think she appreciated it at that moment. Right. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, right. it's all part of life. You know, Yogananda is realized as he was. He still died at a relatively young age of a massive heart attack. Right. Yeah. But again, you know, that's the thing. And, and, and that's part of the somewhat of the issue with, with, with yogic thinking. And I think it's true in, in all religious types yeah. of this magical thinking. You no, know? I mean, we're here for a reason. And as Yogananda said, you know, the, the, the reason we're here is much different than the reason we think. Yes. And, and, and if we can live every moment as best we can, for example, in, in Shiva, Par, Shiva Parababa's book, um, he talks about uh, what he calls moral disciplines, which essentially are the, um, the principles that are listed in, um, I think it's the 16th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. And those are things like not being, like practicing non-attachment, uh, practicing harmlessness. There's a whole list of them, being courageous, being straightforward. And that by engaging these things, um, that they help us live a better life and they help us learn and, and, and figure out how to develop faith when we are in difficult experiences and they help us have resilience. And the reason we need this resilience is so that in those times when we're not being resilient, we can turn within and meditate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the other piece too is, you know, people talk about good and bad karma and I, and I, all karma is karma. Right. And, and I, what I tell people, there's pleasant and unpleasant karma, but there's no such thing as bad or good karma. And that even unpleasant karma um, is really, if we work with it properly, it's meant to wake us up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't, God doesn't give us the spiritual life to have easy lives. Spiritual life is about waking up. Right. And whatever whatever is needed to wake us up, pleasant or unpleasant, will come to us. Um, so I think that helps people too if they take this notion of good and bad karma. There's pleasant and unpleasant karma, but it it's all serving our evolution if we work with it correctly. Right. That's. I think that's completely accurate. And um, we we briefly touched upon or talked about astrology for a moment uh, before we got started. But um, one of the principles I love about astrology, uh, one of the reasons I still love the philosophy of it and, and teaching it in that way is um, the planet Saturn is the planet of sorrow. 
suffering, death, separation, um, void, cold. And um, he's one of the most dreaded planets that people experience. However, one day it occurred to me that if you can make peace with Saturn, you can be at peace with anything. Yes. And, and, that, and Saturn, in my mind, is, is kind of representative of the idea of the cross, you know, from, yeah. from the, the Christian perspective. And, yes. and even in the Hindu traditions, they have gods and goddesses which are fierce, which yes. are cruel, yes. which are... Yes. And, 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 but those, those are facets of aspects of this, of this infinite. And so if we, want, if we say we love God... We can't say we just, it's like, your, it's like your spouse, you know, your, your most beloved person in your life. You don't say, I love you, but not these little points. You, yeah. you unconditionally love the person in your life. And, and I, I think it's easier to see it with a person than it yes. is with God. But I, I believe in my sense is that when a person hits that point of what you might consider to be enlightenment, it's when they've loved every aspect of God, including yes. the stuff that they didn't including, want to including the fierce aspects. Right. You know, um, at the Assisians, who I quoted, and uh, people quoted a lot, both in the New Testament and Yogananda says that God is love. And I say, yes, but you just have to remember, it's not love as we understand love. Exactly. That love is that energy and force that will do anything that needs to be done to evolve us. And again, yeah. if pleasantness evolves us, then pleasantness will come our way. But sometimes fierceness and chaos is needed in order for us to evolve. So, yeah, we have to see God in all of God's, quote, God in all of God's, uh, all of God's faces, so to speak, and not just choose one face and say that this is it. We have to integrate all the faces of God, so to speak. Yeah, and personally, I, I wish I had some kind of formula way of of helping people to see that, but all I got is good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've come back to this question again, and, and I think it's it, and under, kind of underneath the question, I think is a, is a sort of a point of real wisdom. No matter how evolved the spiritual teacher is, you can't get inside another person's soul and make them make the, do you know what I'm saying? Make them make the right decisions and have the right attitude Right. that, that, that we can present people with the truth. We can present people with love, with wisdom, but at some point heaven and earth can't help them. It's what, what they decide to do with their experiences one way or the other. And so, you know, I've had to, as a spiritual teacher, I've had to come to that realization um, that I can only present the truth as best as I understand it, my best understanding of the truth. Um, and, but I can't get inside a person and have them realize what they ought to realize or make the choices they ought to, to make. And so letting go of that is sad sometimes, but it's also freeing. Well, just as you were saying that, <clears throat> this popped into my awareness. Um, I think that, again, we could probably spend a whole mini podcast and hours talking about things like faith, but I think that uh, intention makes a big difference. This just came to me in that while a person might not be able to understand what they're going through, or they might not be able to mentally grasp 
how they might not be able to mentally grasp what suffering is calling them to experience. But what came to me was as long as they have the intention and the willingness to say, I don't get it, but I'm willing to grow through it to see what's on the other end. Uh, I, I wonder if, 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 if encouraging people to have the openness and the intention to when they, when they don't know what to do and when they're in a difficult situation, yes. kind of have the prayer of, I don't know and I don't get it, be honest about it, but then say, but I'm willing to go through it to see what's on the other side. Yeah, and if, again, this could be a whole other podcast of just for a moment to connect intentionality with faith. Uh, one of, there's a spiritual teacher I like. His name is Valentin Tomberg. He died in the early 70s. Um, very fascinating figure, but he uses the metaphor of wind as faith, that, that, mm -hmm. that, that faith is this divine breath that is moving through creation. And it's not, faith is not belief. It's, it's this, it's this, it's, it is this grace, this energy that is moving through creation. And what happens when we hold the intention to, to align ourselves with grace, to align ourselves with this flow of Shakti, then it's like we get caught up in that wind, almost like a sailboat gets, you know, gets caught up in the wind. And then there's an energy that is beyond the mind, uh, you know, beyond the body, then that begins to merge with our intentionality. And it, and it really can be a force that carries us. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I think, I think intentionality and faith, maybe they're flip sides of the same coin, but they align us to this, to this energy that can, can sustain us right. and carry us, even when we don't understand. Right. No, that makes, that makes complete sense. And again, just remembering going through certain things and not knowing why certain things were happening, but trying to maintain that space of welcomingness or welcoming and having the intention of being willing, what you're, what you're describing, it makes perfect sense because you, you, you don't know it when you're going through it, but if it's carrying you, you will eventually hit a point where you might not still understand it, but there is a bit of realization or understanding. It, it's almost like it expands, it expands your awareness even further beyond the mind a little bit, which increases yeah. faith. It's yeah, yeah, and then it, it just gets to be a, a positive sort of snowball effect. Right. And, and even I, you know, sometimes people will come and they'll see me and they'll be angry with me because they were initiated in Kriya Yoga and then their, their life fell apart. Yeah, and you know. And they get mad at me, and within a, within a sort of an appropriate boundary, I say it's okay to be angry at me. It's it's mm -hmm. good because if you're angry, then at least we're still having the conversation. <laughs> now, right. don't get stuck in the anger and let it overshadow your life. But and I say the same thing. You know, some people say, "Well, is it okay to be angry at God?" Yeah, get angry, but at least if you're angry, there's still the conversation. And if there's still the conversation, then, then there's the possibility for intentionality to align itself. Um, it's when people just give up right. um, and go into a kind of nihilistic despair that you can't ex help them. Expressing the anger and those sorts of things, I mean, that's, keep, that's still practicing the yamas and the yamas because it's keeping you established in truthfulness. Yes, yes. If, if you're yes. going through a difficult situation, well, you know, you're not going to hurt God's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So 
yes. being able to express that and be able to, to get it out, you know, that's yes. still keeping a person in truthfulness. That's why also uh, in other situations, when, when people aren't in good situations, I think to myself, well, admit that you just don't like this, you know, saying yeah. that you don't like it doesn't mean that you are, you know, you can be in a situation and say, I don't like this. And well, you can't get out of it. So it's okay to just say, I don't like it. And then you are establishing truth and you're not trying to, they use the term spiritual bypass. You're not trying to like get around it and act like you're yeah. more than what you are. Cause that's false. That's not true. And that takes you away from the Amis and the Amis. It does. You know, there's a wonderful scene. There's three times in the new Testament where they say that Jesus wept. One of them, people hardly ever quote it, but it was towards the end of his life and was heading towards Jerusalem. I think he knew the end was near. And it, and it says that he wept over Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And the words that he spoke was, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you would not have me. And then it said he wept. Mm -hmm. So if somebody at that level of realization has a moment where they weep, we get to weep too, but again, in the context of, of faith, in the context of we may not understand it, but it's all going somewhere. Right, right. One of the little things that I kind of try to live by and encourage other people is um, reject nothing and accept everything. Mm -hmm. That just brings me to a place of quiet and, and stillness inside, uh, you know, accept this moment, don't reject it, be present to it, don't resist it. And then there's a kind of, and then that letting go, there's peace. And again, often there's a wisdom to know how to respond to the moment. But in the moment, it's about accepting everything and rejecting nothing and letting it be and then letting it reveal to you what the next step is or isn't. Well, that feels, <laughs> that feels like a good point to end on, but do you have any other final thoughts that uh, we might not have touched upon in this discussion? I, I don't know. We, um, <laughs> we covered a lot of ground just, you know, um, You know, something, I'm going to paraphrase or, or capture, I think, the spirit of, of Roy Eugene Davis. You know, I tend to overthink things. And sometimes I would write Roy emails or when I was in his presence, I would ask him these troubling questions about things. And he always had this simple response. In fact, one time he used this phrase literally with me. <laughs> don't go crazy <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't go crazy and I think of I think of that periodically like because you know I can my mind can kind of get into these machinations and it's like don't go don't go crazy mm -hmm. and just be present to the moment be open to what you're experiencing and be open to your own soul be self-realized and and maybe that's how I'd like to end it just in the spirit of Roy and, and his beautiful, but kind of simple, profoundly simple approach, you know, just be self-realized and, and don't go crazy. Excellent. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank really you for doing this. I'm, I'm always, I, it's been a real blessing. I, I really just want to say what I said before. I don't say this lightly. 
you are an incredible yogic sage. <laughs> well, I know I, you really are, and I just want you to know I have tremendous respect for you. Tremendous respect. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it, but it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the goatee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I don't ever sh shave it. <laughs> so you got to keep the long hair too. That's yeah, part of it. that's true. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. welcome. You're welcome, Ryan. God bless you. Yeah, peace. Okay. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.